Well, every year after Easter, we get feedback from people who have visited with us, sometimes on a Connect card or via an email. And the stories are varied as the people and the personalities, but often there's something in common. They begin or somewhere in the middle of that email or Connect card, they'll say, you know, I wouldn't have come if, and then they'll give somebody's name, hadn't invited me. And we, we around here, like, have this unspoken commitment with our congregation. If you've been with us, you know this. If you're relatively new, let me uh, unpack it for you in black and white. It goes like this, that if you'll take time to invest in people, if you'll build relationships and really love them, just be friends, just invest in relationships with people. Do it authentically, do it completely, do it with your whole self. If you will take then that relationship that you're investing in and invite them to this church, when they get here, we'll give them the gospel. We'll give them the gospel uncompromised, straight from God's word, in language they can understand. And their kids will enjoy it if they come to be a part of our kids' ministry as well. And then if they begin to plug into this church, they will be able to find authentic relationships here. They'll be able to discover a God that loves them. And it's a very, very exciting thing. I want to share with you some statistics, though, real quick. Do you know that recent studies have shown, this was done by the Gallup organization, they pull all kinds of things religious throughout the country. They're, they're a huge organization, their scholarship and scientific method is impeccable. Here's what they discovered, that 8 out of 10 people who do not attend church would be somewhat likely to attend church if personally invited. Now, let's just like get it down on your level. I bet your friends are a little bit more belligerent than the average person, the person you know. And so maybe not 8 out of 10 would come, but I bet if you were to invite 10 people, I bet four out of the 10 would come. But then let's add three to that because it's Easter. And because it's Easter, people are much more likely to come. So I, I think that instead of eight out of 10, I bet we could have seven out of every 10 of your friends that you know who don't go to church would come if you invited them to Easter. And then because it's Easter, we'll multiply by 1.75. Very scientific here that I'm doing. And so if you invited just 10 people to Easter at Four Corners Church, I think at least seven would show up. But I, I know how life is. So let's say you encountered several catastrophic, life-threatening events over the next seven days and weren't able to do it like a shark attack. Uh, that's funny, folks. That's funny. A meltdown at work. You can't, maybe you can't access your, 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 your Facebook account and you're only able to invite five people to Easter service next week over the next seven days. That means that, oh, 3.5 people doing the math on this would still come and attend our church on Easter. Now, that's a big deal. Just like the guy in the video said, a lot of people, all they need is somebody who they know, they recognize, they work next to, to invite them. Now, here's the deal. If just three-fourths of our congregation took the challenge to invite just two, that's how many cards we gave you, just two people, the truth of the matter is we could have approaching up to 1,500 people at church here next weekend to hear about Jesus and to discover him, to do that in an environment where they're not going to be condemned, but they can experience what I talked about a couple weeks ago and Greg further unpacked last week, that there isn't any condemnation in Christ. There really is a new beginning. And so the bottom line is you're the key and I'm the key. And so Jill and I got some of our invites on yesterday and we've got a lot more to do this week. And we'll be taking our cards, and we'll be doing our little invite deal, and we'll be praying, and we'll be asking God not to let the Easter just be a time that we come and kind of get our Jesus on and get our praise on, as cool as that is. We're going to talk a bit about that today as well. But what we're going to do is really go out of our way to make sure that other people can experience him just like I have. Now, if that scares you to death, if you think, you know, Ben, I'm not the kind of person that does that sort of thing, I want to talk to you a little bit today about fear as we continue our study through Romans chapter 8. I want to take us to the end of that passage, dealing with the idea of fear 
and what God has to say about it. Because here's, here's the thing, friends. I've learned that when I was a kid, as a teenager, even as an adult, that a lot of times if I had appropriate knowledge about a situation, my fear quotient significantly reduced. It works in life of my kids this way. They think they have an aberrant knowledge, they have a, an, an inaccurate knowledge that there's something under the bed. And it's dark, and they can't really tell. And if they're, if they're at all, you know, brave, they'll look under the bed to see and try to figure out if there's... But it's dark. They can't... So a lot of times, they'll come running into our room, and... Well, we go back into their room. And then we found if we can bring appropriate knowledge to them, turn the light on, get down on our hands and knees, look under the bed, most of the time, the appropriate knowledge cancels out the fear, and they feel better. Have you seen this work in your own life? I, I've had fears in my life that one time working in a church environment and we were in major budget cuts and slashing and dashing going on. I had fear that maybe I was going to be one of the ones who's going to be let go. And as we processed through the stuff and I got knowledge and I began to put my name out there and to see if I had, you know, a parachute or something to, to fall back on. Well, in fact, I was let go. But because I had other contacts established, the knowledge of those things brought down my fear quotient. When was the last time you were really afraid? I thought about the time I was afraid, not all that long ago. In fact, it was just a couple years before we started this church. Uh, we had, I had established a relationship with Andy Ryder, who was our original worship pastor here, and my brother Greg, who was just on the stage. And there was a, a guy named Robbie Wilson. Now, Robbie Wilson and Andy Ryder, they were high school students. And Robbie was one of our star football players. Well, through some contacts, Greg and I had been invited to go do a conference at a church in Virginia Beach. It was a cool thing to be asked to do, and we took along Robbie, who was a football player, kind of a cool dude, played the drums really well, and we took along Andy Ryder to do some worship music, and then Greg and I were going to like speak at this conference thing. It was great. We, we had a fantastic time. God really moved, changed some kids' lives. It was fantastic. Well, on the way home, I was driving the car. I still drive because I'm a part of the uh, Junkie Car Club. You know what that is? The, I'm not going to spend money on a new car club. Anybody else here? Part of, I, I still drive the same car. It was a Suburban. And Suburbans, I don't know if you know this, but they don't get great gas mileage. It's really killing me these days. But they don't get great gas mileage. And we were in the mountains of West Virginia on our way home from Virginia Beach back to Cincinnati, Ohio. Me and Greg and these two high school kids, both seniors. And uh, Greg says to me, hey, it looks like you're down to just, you know, a few marks on the gas gauge you might want to stop and get gas oh, i know my car i know my car i know what it can do guys have you been there have you been there i know what my car can. the light wasn't even on yet and i said hey we've got at least 70 miles at least 70 miles to go i'm not kidding it wasn't two minutes later we started up this big hill on the interstate and my car ran out of gas i was so embarrassed i was so frustrated and if you think I was frustrated, the other guys in the car, especially my brother who had warned me, you know, my younger brother who had warned me, he, he was livid. He was livid. And so we did the only thing we could do. We parked the car on the side of the road, and Greg looks at me with great seriousness and says, I'm, I'm not walking, you're walking. You drove, you're walking. And so... Now, here's the deal. I, I know West Virginia, but I've never lived there, but I have relatives who are there. And I know that somewhere in the back crevices of these mountains, people play banjos and have all kinds of DNA issues. And so, so I was a little bit afraid. But as we started walking, I'm, now you're, from this point on, you're going to think I'm like talking like a pastor and making this up. I am not making this story up. A, there's like nobody on the highway for some reason. We're in on the interstate. This car comes pulling up, pulls in front of us on the little the, the side of the road and begins to back up towards us. 
there was buckshot in the trunk of the car. I mean, there were like eight holes missing in the back of this car. I think it was from like 1942 or maybe 72. They're, they're backing up and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know if this is a good thing or bad thing. We're about to be, you know, offered help of some type. The guy backs up, rolls down his window, sticks his head out and he says, hey, I'll give you a ride if you need a ride. What's wrong? I said, well, we're out of gas. He said, well, we're going up to the next exit. It's like eight miles away. So I do the math real quick. Eight miles walking. Oh my goodness. All right, we're going to do this. But I grabbed Robbie, who was the football player. He was huge, guys. Have you seen me? I'm not that tall. I mean, I'm strong, mighty, I, I, but I'm not that tall. I don't look, I don't have a very imposing physique, right? Um, it's okay, just truth in advertising. But Robbie, on the other hand, man, he, he had the deal. He had the entire package, bulging biceps. I, I felt like if somebody wanted to do something, they would, would think twice if Robbie was with us. So Robbie and I get into the back seat of this shot-up car. And in the front seat were a man and a woman, I presume they were married. In the back seat in the middle was a lady about 30 years old, and she proceeded to start hitting on me. <laughs> I tell the truth. Um, it wasn't a compliment, by the way. I mean, you know how, like, if, you know how if, if, like, like if a really hot person hits on you, that's kind of like a compliment? This was the opposite of that. I don't want to, like, throw somebody under the bus, but it was kind of like the other way. And she smiled at me through her tooth, and uh, she was... <laughs> She was all happy about it, and uh, I'm not kidding. They said to us, we're going to the next exit because we're going to the liquor store, and um, we're going to go back and party, and if you guys have some extra time, and I said, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. I, I threw that out there, and um, sure enough, we, as we're dry, I'm trying my best to talk, and this girl continues to hit on me. Well, Robbie is sitting on one side of the back seat. I'm on the other. She's in the middle, and he starts chuckling. I can see him out of the corner of my eye. I wanted to slap him, but he's a whole lot bigger than me, so I just kind of let him do his thing. And Well, we get to the liquor store. They drop me off at the gas station. I buy some gas cans. We, we fill them up. And I'm very grateful to not have, have walked all those miles in one direction and back. And then, so on the way back, they start doing shots. I'm not kidding. They're like turning them back. And I, I, don't, I don't do that. Sort of, I don't know how long it takes to get drunk. I don't. All I know is we're doing like 70 miles an hour on the interstate. We've got loaded cans of gas in the back trunk. I'm thinking this could end poorly. I started being a little afraid. I started kind of under my breath just praying a little bit. I have a Pentecostal background. I was kind of praying in the spirit and just asking God to cover the whole thing uh, for us. And well, I was a little, little bit afraid, and, and when we get back, I tried to like emotionally get Greg and Andy kind of connect with the whole experience, and all they could do was laugh at us, and I'm still a little frustrated about the whole thing. Well, now, here's the, here's the reason I'm telling that story is, there's a lot of moments in that story in which I had moments of concern, moments of what's going to happen, what could happen. I like, you know, I don't want to correct the driver for doing shots before going down the interstate, but at the same time, I'm a little concerned for my life, and then there's this high school kid, and what would I say to his mom, and had a lot of reasons to be afraid. But at the same time, the truth of the matter is, on a very practical level here, Robbie was with me. Now, Robbie probably couldn't have done much if we had veered off the road because our driver was inebriated, but he did make an impression. First of all, he was a large African-American man in the middle of southern West Virginia. That right there is an imposing figure. And, and, and he really did give me a sense of comfort that if somebody really wanted to take advantage of us, he and I probably together could have been a bit scrappy on them. They would have probably thought twice. The reason I'm telling you this story is, is today there's a reality I want you to understand about God. And as much as, you know, in, in my mind, in this, like, earthly story, I try to tell from this perspective of a tall, 
man, muscular, imposing figure, make you think twice before you mess with him kind of guy. We have a God who's awesome and big. He's massive. He is up. I mean, he's not just like up in heaven. He's like up above everything. He's outside of creation because he created it, and yet he chooses to dwell within creation so he can interact with us. He's an imposing figure. All kinds of words are used to describe him. He's omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, everywhere present. These are the, the big three. He is supreme. He is the Lord of lords, the highest Lord. He's the King of kings, the highest king. He's powerful. Words are used to describe him as a victorious warrior, the God whose plan will come to pass. Nobody is big enough to really get in his way. And if you ever think about messing with him, you think twice because he's such an imposing character. That's the backdrop. That's the primary character that Paul has in mind when he closes out Romans chapter 8. Paul has been exploring, as Greg did with you last week, the challenge between these awesome things that Christ says about us and the awesome spiritual realities we live in and the very real challenge of life that can happen. We are victorious, and at the same time, we can struggle, even though we're victorious. We are as good as in heaven now. That's how secure our relationship with God is. And yet there's a lot of time, it feels like, at least from our perspective, between here and there and a lot of distance. We are in, and sometimes we don't experience all the in. We don't feel it emotionally. Paul's writing about that in the middle of Romans chapter 8, and he reminds us that all things work together for good, for the good of those who are called by God, who, are lo- who love him and work towards his purpose. And we wrestle with that a bit. Now, I thought Greg just knocked the ball out of the park last week. No, no joke. I, I listened and I was encouraged. I was so encouraged by what I heard. It made me like really wish I was here. And I knew that he was going to be sharing with you some of our long-term range and goals. But beyond that, I hope you understand that you got delivered like a steak meal, like a full eight-course meal last week when it comes to biblical theology. It was balanced. It was sure. It was right. It was helpful. I hope, I hope you nourished yourself on that all week. And what I want to do is I want to give you the dessert. It, it is it's an important part of the meal as, as you'll experience anywhere else in Romans chapter 8. But it's the sweet spot. It's the part that leaves a wonderful taste in your mouth. But it can only really be experienced if you have in mind your big and awesome God standing right beside of you. So with that picture in mind, I'd like to take you to the passage and try to have you hold that in your head, that image of a big, awesome, powerful God sitting on the throne of eternity and yet not so distant he isn't involved in your life. He is the buddy right beside of you. He's the big fullback right beside of you as you're walking through southern West Virginia riding in a car getting hit on by a toothless woman. Romans chapter 8. Nobody has ever set up this passage with that before. Romans chapter 8 <laughs> verse 31. Here's what it says. What then? What then? Shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. A lot of legal language here. If God declared you not guilty, who would dare to declare you guilty? Who then is the one who condemns? No one, Paul says. 
Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, he was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Shall, and then he lists some possibilities, shall trouble separate us, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And then he quotes a passage that people emotionally connected with when they were having a rough time. As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he says in verse 37, no. And here's where the dessert comes. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, (laughs) what's worse than death? Well, for some people it's living. Neither death nor life. Neither angels, like good forces, nor demons, bad forces. Neither the present, nor the future, what might come your way. Nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, or anything else. Depth in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want us to zero in on verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. You may not know this, but before our English Bible was written, there was a translation at about 400 AD of the Greek text, as the New Testament was originally written, into Latin, the common language of the church, the language of commerce and academia. It was the language that people who were learned spoke and read. And it was translated into Latin. It's called the Vulgate Version. When they came to this passage, they translated it as not we are more than overcomers. They said that we are over overcomers. They didn't really have a term to make it as clear the superlative language they were trying to get us to understand in describing what kind of overcomers we are, what kind of victorious people we are, what kind of conquerors we are. In the version I just read, it's we're more than conquerors. In the Vulgate, we're over overcomers. They just put a little hyphen there to really accentuate what this means. I wanted to spend the rest of my time talking about the fact that we are overcomers because we are in Christ. And I want to remind you that you have people all around you who do not know this because they do not know him. Or maybe they know him on some level, but they haven't really explored the depths of what it means to be walking by the big awesome God who's as committed to them as they could ever comprehend more than they would ever understand. He is for them. He loves them. So this weekend, we wrap up our series that we're more than conquerors. And I want to remind you that conquerors, like normal battle people, this is the language here, they fight earthly battles. But more than conquerors, we fight battles that sometimes go beyond the earthly. They're eternal. They have a spiritual meaning to them. This is the place we as church leaders find ourselves in this week. We have a very practical battle of just like making sure volunteer slots are filled and people are getting what they need from us and the management system of the church runs. But beyond that, there is another edge to the whole thing called the church that if you don't take time to look, sometimes it can be elusive to you. In fact, some of you that have been hurt in church in the past, like in your past life, one of the things that probably happened was is that the spiritual purpose of church and what's going on behind the obvious scene was lost. And let me just remind you that conquerors fight earthly battles like trying to manage all the stuff around church. But more than conquerors, they also fight eternal battles, spiritual battles. And if you're walking with Christ, you're in the middle of that right now. I bet you have some very pragmatic things going on in your life right now. I bet some of you in this room have some relational stuff that just needs to be worked through. 
Some of you have a to-do list that's a mile long, and it just needs to be worked through. You have financial stuff that just needs to be worked through. But you understand, conquerors can do that. If they have the right might, skill, time, resources, conquerors can take care of that. But more than conquerors, don't just focus on those kinds of things. More than conquerors, those of us that are in Christ Jesus, who have our big God standing next to us, we have another plane on which we battle. It's a battle for the soul of this world. It's a battle for individual people to be in relationship with God. It's a battle for our own faith to be vibrant and have vitality to it so that it speaks to those around us and gives to us a faithfulness that holds. Conquerors in this life, they overcome things by force. They put more energy, pour more resources. And we in the church overcome We are more than conquerors. We are over overcomers, not by force alone, but by faith. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. We hold to him and we let him do his work in us. Sometimes it stretches us. Sometimes it pulls us in a direction that isn't completely comfortable. Sometimes we we think it's bigger than us and they would never hear me and I don't have anything that I could share. This is what we might think, but we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Conquerors in earthly things, people just managing their to-do list, people that just have challenges in front of them, they are victorious over their struggles. They do get the best of the to-do list. They wrangle in the finances. That unruly relationship gets managed and healthy. But more than conquerors, here's the challenge that I want to push on us today. We are victorious not in overcoming our struggles and battling them and beating them, What the passage says to us is we are victorious in our struggles. Now, this is profoundly different. If you're a Twitterer, this is what you Twitter. We are victorious in our struggles. See, when the world looks at challenges and difficulties, it never says of the person in the middle of the battle, he's already the winner, she's already won. But this is exactly what God is saying to us in Romans Chapter 8, at the end of the chapter, the dessert of this profoundly theological, well-balanced meal. That we are more than conquerors because of Christ, because of our relationship to him. What that means is we don't have to always come to the complete end of our struggle before we experience victory. There is a victory that is ours as over-overcomers that is ours we obtain even in the middle of our challenges. This is good news. This is news that your neighbors and my neighbors need to hear. This is news that if I were in high school... I needed to have grabbed hold of and my friends needed to understand that in the middle of my life's journey, in the middle of my stuff, no matter what's going on, before the resolution comes, before the problem is resolved, before the relationship is restored, before the money is in the bank, there is a victory that is available to me because I'm in Christ Jesus that is elusive to just the conqueror. But to the more than conqueror, it's very much attainable. And it's intimately connected to the God who walks beside of us. Because he's big. And he's awesome. And he's profound. I don't know how to to explain to you how you can be a winner before the thing is over. And so I have a metaphor here that's true, but it doesn't really sum it up. But maybe it'll shed a little light on you. When I was a kid and we would go to West Virginia to visit family and 
and we would hang out there. We, we, didn't, we, were, we were poor. We, we, were just, we didn't have a lot of stuff. And so we would come up with like games to play. And there would always be like a round robin tournament of see who can hit with a rock. Um, that, that kind of stuff. Or, uh, you know, see who can get water out of the well the quickest. I mean, we, we came up with all kinds of crazy games. To, and so we'd come up with some kind of round robin tournament. Well, one time somebody got a piece of plywood and some paddles and little ping pong balls on that. And we had a little round robin tournament in my grandmother's living room of ping pong. So we had you know, multiple teams, and we played, and it, it was, it was, I didn't understand it, but it was great. I was young, and, but here, here's the thing. I, because I was young, I was put near the end. I was put near the end of the, the, the tournament. I was going to play, like, in that first round. I was going to play, like, you know, near the end. And the team I was on, unbeknownst to me, was we were, we were amazingly good. We, I didn't understand the game. I was pretty young. But by the time I got to play, we were already so far ahead, it would have been almost impossible. We had virtually already won. So my uncle comes to me, my uncle Art, who's kind of leading the thing, and he says, just have fun. But that wasn't what he had been like up before, because, you know, while, even though you, you may not have a lot of stuff, you like to win. In fact, if sometimes you don't have a lot of stuff, you want to win more. And so before that, he wasn't the nice uncle just saying, hey, kiddies, just have fun. He was like, don't you miss that ball. And if you had missed the ball, he'd be like, come on, you, you could see that one coming. And he was pressuring. And so here I am as a little kid watching, like, oh, my goodness, the pressure is great. The pressure, I don't know if I can do it. I didn't understand that we were so far out ahead that it didn't really matter how I personally performed. I was already on the winning team. I know that the metaphor falls short, but this is what I'm trying to get you to understand. Friends, we've already won. The last chapter of the story of humanity has already been written. When you go to the end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 22, here's what you discover. That those with Christ win. I don't even know exactly how all the world is going to wind down. You can buy books. People have made millions of bucks trying to explain that to people. It's very fascinating stuff. There was a study done of what young people in their 20s to 30s wanted to hear in church. You know, what would like attract them? What would hold their interest? And two big ideas popped to the top of that list. One was as people in their 20s to 30s wanted to understand what God had to say about sex. You, you might understand why they would emotionally connect with that. The other thing was is what is the end time going to be like? So in our church, we thought we would do a series to attract these people, sex in the end times. We thought it would like bring the most momentum to, to, the, to the current you know, debate of what was going on. Now, I don't know if you understand all that's going to happen, but I'm not sure you need to. Here's what you need to understand. The overarching idea is, is that we've already won, that if you're with Christ, whether you're on the back end of your struggle, on the front end of your struggle, or right in the middle of your struggle, there is a victory that is yours because Christ is yours. He walks with you. He promises us in Romans chapter 8 that we will never be alone. He promises us that in our struggle, he'll walk beside of us. He promises not only that we won't be alone, but that he is directing our steps so that even when even evil happens to us, he maneuvers, he changes, he rearranges resources so that the very things that we experience as evil, catch this, actually work for our development and for our good. This is how we are more than conquerors. This is how we are over overcomers because even when junk happens in our life, God maneuvers it and shapes it so that we are developed and are changed powerfully by it, become more into the image of his son. You see this in the Bible over and over again. It happened, for instance, in Genesis when Joseph was sold into slavery by his family. You think you have a jacked up family, huh? Joseph was sold into slavery by his older brothers. 
God powerfully blessed him, raised him up to be number two in Egypt. He ends up, because of his position and availability of resources, he ends up saving his entire family, he becomes a major player in God's design of redemption in the world. And when the family comes back years later, Joseph has gone through the struggle. He's been in the pit. He's been in prison. He's been accused. He's been lied on. And God has saved him through it all and raised him up. Here's what he says to his family on their reunion. I can tell you what I would have said first. I would have said, you dogs, you idiots. I can't believe you. Get out of my sight. I have all the power and might now. You guys get away from here. That would have been what I would have wanted to have said. That's not what he said. He said, what you meant for evil in my life, what you meant to do me down, what you meant to to keep me under, God meant for good. This is how we are more than conquerors. Because God takes even the rough stuff in our life, the challenges and difficulties, he says, I'm going to develop you through this. I'm going to show you a picture of yourself that you're going to have to take seriously and then let me work on it. You ever had the pressure ratchet up and all the margin in your life squeezed out? I feel like I live there. You know what I keep seeing? an accurate picture of me. It's not always pretty. It's not always good. And this is where I have to come to this passage and remember that there is a God who stands behind me and he says, because I'm with you, because I'm beside of you, because I'm walking through it, because I'll never leave you or forsake you, you are more than a conqueror, Ben, even if you haven't come to the end of the challenge. Because I'm working on you, in you, through you, growing you, and what others have meant for evil, I will work for good in your life. And I have a plan and a purpose, and I'm taking you on a journey. So as the challenges in your life ratchet up, I'm right there with you, but not just with you in a passive way, kind of rubbing your shoulders and patting you and making you feel all good. I'm there guiding and directing and orchestrating and bringing this thing to a conclusion for your good. That makes you and I have the possibility of being more than a conqueror. Because before it's over, we've won. Now, people who are just conquerors, they come to the end of their struggles and feel victorious. We are victorious in the middle of our struggles. How does all this relate to Easter? See, I'm I'm talking with you today about something that has like a 30,000 foot view. I spent some time in a plane with my son and we were over Texas and it's an ugly state. If you've ever been there, it's just all green. I mean, mean, all brown, like very little green and it's cool, it's big, they got oil. I mean, they got resources, but it's not all that pretty. And we're up and there's very few clouds and from like 34,000 feet, we can see the ground and the perspective is radically different when you're on that, you know, high plane. Now, you see the individual parcels of land. You can see for miles why they put the road there through that particular pass is over here. They would have had to, you get a better perspective. What I'm talking to you about today is a 30,000 foot idea, but it doesn't have to be so up there that you and I can't grab it and take hold of it now. This might not be like the most practical one, two, three thing for you to go do and implement, but I'm telling you. If you will let the reality that the God of the universe who is big and powerful, he's good, he's great, he's magnificent, is standing beside of you, it will change everything. See, you have an option, and I have an option when we're in our struggles. I can focus exclusively on my struggles. And you know what happens when I do that? They get bigger. I don't know if they really change. 
I'm just saying that when I get like up close and personal to them and they've got all my emotion and I'm sucked into the thing and I can't get over how challenging my wife is or how difficult my kids are or how minimal my finances are or how difficult the complexity of a structure of a church of, you know, 700 people on a weekend. I, when, when those things are like really speaking to my life and I'm up close, they seem so large and big. But that's not the only thing I have to look at because I'm in Christ because he's in me because of all that Romans 8 has to say to us the other thing I can focus on is not just my challenges I can focus on the God who said I'm with you in the middle of them I've made you more than a conqueror over them and you know what happens for me oh well let's be clear I'm not suggesting that my challenges instantly disappear that's not what I'm suggesting at all I'm suggesting that I begin to change in the middle of my challenges I begin to become a more than conqueror as I focus on my awesome God the one who loved me, the one who said he loved me so much he did not even spare his son, but sent him to die for us. It changes things for me. It gives me a stick with itness. It causes me to ask God, what would you like to do in the middle of this circumstance? Rather than just praying the prayers I typically pray, God, get me out of this. God, what would you like to do with me and through me? You know what it does when it comes to Easter? And I know that because I'm already on the inside, I have an obligation to invite others to come in with me. It causes me to see people a little differently. So over the last few weeks, because I have a kind of a heightened awareness of the evangelism potential here, the invitational, I've spent a lot of time talking to people. And it's pretty powerful. While I'm doing this, I've got other agendas going on. I've got other challenges going on in my life. I've got other things just like you do. I mean, I've got a whole life to live apart from trying to invite somebody to church on Easter. I've got a full life, demanding, challenging, just like you. Some of you probably have a more demanding life than me right now. Some of you certainly don't. And if you want to compare notes, we could do that. And I can you know, show you how difficult it is to be me and you can feel sorry for me I can feel sorry for you we we could play that game or or we could appropriately understand our challenges and at the same time begin to appropriately understand our God see the difficulty isn't that you don't understand your challenges the reason Romans 8 is elusive to us is we don't understand our God the one who comes to us and says you're more than conquerors you're not alone I'm going to develop you through the challenge, not just deliver you from the challenge. I'm going to elevate you to a plane to where your challenges aren't the only thing in front of you, but there's a higher purpose, there's a better way, there's something profound and spiritual, not just natural, going on here. So that when I come to the end of my money, before I've come to the end of my month, I can ask God, what are you wanting to say to me, God, here? Is there a change I need to make? Is there something you want to speak into my life? Is there something I need to investigate here? And even though I may have the real challenge, I have victory working already in my life. And when I have difficulties in my relationships, the same things happen. And when I think about the fear of taking two invite cards and asking someone directly, would you be my guest at Easter service at Four Corners? Here's the information. If that brings up a certain amount of fear or trepidation for me, I understand that, trust me, I really do. You might think that because I'm a pastor, these things come easy to me. They don't. They don't. It's no more easy for me, for instance, to get up and give extra hours to the church beyond my normal compensated hours I give than it is for you to do that. It's no more easy for me to write the extra check than it is for you to do that. 
It's no more easy for me to go up to somebody who I kind of know or maybe have somewhat of a relationship with and turn the, trans, the conversation and transform it over to something beyond just the earthly plane and know that I'm making a spiritual investment in them when I say, would you consider coming to Easter service with me at Four Corners? That's no more easy for me to do than it is for you. But you know when it begins to get easier for me? I'm not kidding here. I'm not kidding here. This is when Romans 8 begins to speak in my life. It begins to get easier when I think about how awesome our God is. It begins to get easier when I begin to think about what he's done in my life. And I ask myself a serious question. What kind of friend would I be if I didn't want this good thing for them as well? What kind of friend would I really be? Am I really loving? Sometimes people will challenge us on this and they say, well, it doesn't seem authentic. It doesn't seem real. I want to say, crud. Of course, it's the most real thing you could ever do. The problem is, is you haven't considered the eternal destiny. You haven't considered God's purpose in your friend's life. You haven't loved them on a level beyond just the surface. You're only concerned about what their initial reaction might be, and you haven't considered eternity in light of your present opportunity. No, we're more than conquerors, even in things like inviting people. See, whether my friends and Jill's friends and our neighbors that we've invited come or not, it, it's not that's not our place. We won when we were obedient to do what Jesus instructed his followers to do. Our joy comes, of course, when they show up. Man, when I have skin in the game here and my friend is sitting in this church service, you know what I'm thinking? They better not screw it up in kids. That's what I'm thinking. They better not because I have, I, we've been working on this family for eight weeks. And I think they had better not miss a note up here. Now, there's a little grace there, but see, I give them grace because I know these folks. That sound had better not cut out. That baby had better not cry when I give the invitation. You know why I feel that way? Because I got skin in the game. A lot of us are dispassionate about church because we don't have any skin in the game. We, 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 don't, we don't have made an investment. And so the, the reality of Romans chapter 8 in our own life is reduced because we aren't operating on anything other than a physical plane. I think they might be offended. That would be an awkward conversation. But when we operate on the plane of more than conquerors, oh, it changes everything. Oh, let's be clear, it doesn't change everything. I'm still in the middle of the challenge. It's still awkward, it's still, but it changes everything. It changes me, and that's what makes me more than a, and I want this for you. I want you in every sphere of your life to be more than a conqueror, and to grab hold of a God who's already grabbed hold of you. To grab hold of him in the middle of your challenge, whatever it is today, grab hold of him. Start asking this question, God, would you like, what would you like to do in me right now? God, what would you like to say to me right now? What would you like me to change right now? What would you like me to understand right now in light of this present circumstance? And I'm telling you, when you begin to focus not just on the thing in front of you, but on the God beside of you, well, you'll get in a car with some drunken people going to go party, and you'll have a certain amount of comfort, even though it's a little awkward at times. And you might take two invite cards, one for each hand. And you might, in fact, actually ask somebody to come. And if God asks you to do something for him, you'll do it. This week, I got an interesting email from a lady that said, um, I made my invite this week. It was awkward. It was strange. I was having a conversation. And in the middle of it, I felt like God said to me, invite this person to church. It was a strange and new experience for her. 
And as a pastor, you know what revved me up? It wasn't just that an invite occurred. Of course that makes me excited because I'm going to preach to that person if they come. And I'm going to tell them about Jesus Christ who died for them and loves them. I'm excited about that. But as a pastor for that lady, the enthusiasm and the joy and the vitality around her own spiritual development, now that gets me pumped. See, that's a well you can keep going to. You can keep drawing from that thing. I want this for you. So would you do this? Would you grab out those two connect cards? or those two invite cards, and just hold one in each hand. We're going to take some next steps together as a congregation, but I want to just spend 30 seconds right here on this. Typically, in the past, we'd give you a bundle of six or seven of these, and we, we, we talked about this, and we really felt like God directing us to do something a little bit more personal this time. See, I think that all of us in the room probably know at least two persons who aren't actively involved in a church even if they know God, they're not really involved in participating in a relationship with Him. And you probably know people just like I do that aren't in a relationship at all with God. And rather than thinking about like the masses out there, what I thought God would be honored by us doing was just thinking about two people. So would you just, one in each hand, listen, you don't have to participate. And I know some of you are just like, you're not going to do the thing. That's fine. Just sit there and watch me. Be not on a log. It's fine. But for the rest of us, let's say, one in each hand, okay? Here, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'm going to just pray about some next steps in a second. And while I do that, I just want you to hold these in your hand and ask God this question, God, what would you like me to do with this? I mean, do you want me to just put it in my Bible, fold it, and not forget about it, and I'll see him next Sunday, and I'm like, oh, goodness, I forgot. Do I just throw him in the front seat of my car? Or would you, would, God, would you be willing to put two people on my mind that I would have an opportunity to invite? Or if not on my mind, God, would you make me aware in that moment when it would be a good time to do it? See, here's the next steps I'd like for us to take. Next step, A, as a congregation, I have somebody close to me that doesn't know the love of God. See, I think this issue thought about makes what we've given you more important. See, I know people that don't know God's love. I know people that are stuck in circumstances and they can only think about their circumstances. And their marriages are disintegrating, not because they're not good people, but because they can only think about the challenges and they don't realize that there's a God available to them. I don't want their marriages destroyed. I don't want those kids going the other way. I don't want that parental-child relationship strained. I want them to know the love of God. If you know that person, if there's somebody in your life you're close to, you can check the box and we're going to pray for them. The next step here isn't to identify that you know them. It's to get you to think about what would God like you to do about it. Here's the next step B for us. I am going to invite two people to Four Corners for Easter. Right here. Now here's the deal, friends. You can check the box. We're not going to know. There's no way for us to hold you fully accountable. But I'd like you to check the box. And seriously, in earnest, I will pray for you every day this week. And the staff will pray for you by name. Every day that you'll get an opportunity to use these cards to make a formal invite. Would you consider attending Easter service with me? You're going to love my church. We have loud, crazy band. The music's great. Your kids will absolutely love it. Whatever it is you need to say. Here's next step C for us. I'm coming to the Good Friday Prayer and Praise Celebration. Greg will tell you a little bit more about this. But if you, uh, you want to come, um, he'll explain what this is all about. It's not for everybody. It's, a, it's not really a last-minute thing. It's something we planned on doing. But we wanted you to just, if you could work it in, come and experience some celebration and prayer on this Friday. So he'll tell you about that in a moment. And then next step, D, I'm going to get baptized on May 1. If you haven't been baptized, man, this is going to be a great day to do that. You can check the box and get you all hooked up. So here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to pray about these things. And if you're willing to take that next step B, invite two people. If you want God to put somebody on your heart to pray for next step A, I really invite you to join. If not, you just kind of play along with us, all right? Why don't you bow your heads?
Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for Romans chapter 8. Not just because you gave us a chapter in the Bible, but because of what it says to us. How it helps us to see what's going on in the world around us from a very unique perspective. God, I want to thank you that you stand beside us. I want to thank you, Lord, that even in the middle of our challenges, you make us more than conquerors. I want to thank you, Lord, that you don't always play by the rules of this world. You love us when we are unlovable. You love us when we don't deserve it. You reach out to us when we run away from you. And then you, Lord, give us the privilege of inviting people to be in an active relationship with you. Thank you. God, we want you to fill this church up. We want you to fill this church up with people who want to take a next step. Some who don't even know they want to, but they're going to come and people who know you and don't know you are going to move closer to you and their plan for their lives. And God, we who participate in that in the middle of it are going to be more than conquerors. Thank you for all you're doing. We pray it in your powerful and holy name. Amen and amen.